0: I'm Lisa Stone, and you are listening to Season 8 of Parenting Aces. Welcome to Season 8, Bonus Episode 9 of the Parenting Aces Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and I have been trying for several weeks to pin down Noah Rubin and have him join us here on the podcast. I'm thrilled that we were able to get him between practice sessions out in Indian Wells as he gets ready for qualies next week. And Noah, as some of you may already know, has started a new venture on Instagram called Behind the Racket. I I'm just enthralled with his posts and what he's able to accomplish so far with that. And so this week, you can hear from Noah himself about why he started the project, what he's hoping to accomplish, and what's in store for the future with Behind the Racket. As always, if you enjoy this podcast episode, we hope you'll share it with your friends And as you know, Parenting Aces is donor supported. So if you can, we would very much appreciate you taking a moment. Click on the donate button at ParentingAces.com. No donation is too small. Thank you. And now sit back and enjoy my conversation with Noah Rubin. Noah Rubin, world traveler. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. So happy to have you. you.
1: No, thank you for having me.
0: I mean, this has been a long time coming. I think we tried to do this last summer when you were playing in the Atlanta Open and it just never worked out. And so I'm really thrilled that we've had the opportunity to finally connect. And and, and actually, the timing's perfect because your behind-the-racket Instagram account has gone viral, as they say.
1: Yeah, no, it's uh, I would call it a new initiative of mine, but really... You know, I didn't really have any hopes for it. I, it was just a, an idea that popped into my head through some help with some friends and who knew where it was going to be. And obviously it's been about a month now and, and it's been really receptive and I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes from here.
0: Well, one of the things I think is so cool is as a college player yourself, a former college player, um, not only have you included fellow former college players in the Behind the Racket series, but you've also included some folks that bypassed college. And, you know, everybody's got a different story. And I think it's really important for those of us who have kids involved in the sport to hear these stories.
1: Yeah. um, You know, I was kind of outspoken the fact that I always thought for tennis players, you know, leaving school from an early age and and not not being allowed to really have any more hobbies because it just takes up so much time that um, tennis players as a whole were fairly one dimensional. But I am even myself learning that everybody has a story and everybody has a background. There's so much more to each person. And I think from everybody else learning, I'm also learning myself. And it's been it's been really a great situation and, and experience for me so far.
0: You know, it's funny. There are some outlets that profile tennis players, but typically they're profiling people like Serena Williams and Roger Federer, not necessarily people like Noah Rubin and uh, Nicole Gibbs and Chris Eubanks. And I think it's really cool that there is now this feature that all of us can look forward to each week or every few days. I mean, there's really not been uh, a set schedule. I don't think that you're releasing these new stories yet, though I suspect as you get busier (laughs) with it, you're going to have to get a little bit organized that way. But what made you kind of decide that it was time for all of us to hear these stories?
1: yeah i mean you know i'll preface it with saying this is not just an american thing it's not just a challenger tour thing i'm going to get every player and i think everybody everybody has a story even if they are in the limelight to begin with i think this is a chance to share something that maybe they haven't shared before and to kind of slide into your question we as americans don't truly love the sport of tennis it is just not we are probably fifth on the totem pole i mean we you know, we're, we're rivaling against, you know, soccer and football and, and basketball and baseball, and we're losing. (laughs) We are. And I've always had this thought that we need to bring this human interest story back to the world of tennis. And that's how you bring excitement. I mean, I'm already seeing it with some of my posts that, oh, Ernesto Escovedo, I didn't know he had a stutter. My son has a stutter. And now I have another reason to follow Ernesto. I have a reason to be a fan of tennis, or I used to play high school tennis and now I kind of stopped. I haven't really followed in a few years, but reading your stories, I have such an interest in just the people playing it, not even the sport. And it's just giving people another route. If they don't love the sport that you can love the people, a part of it, and then grow to love the sport itself. And it gives you new eyes, new perspective. And, and I think that's the only way to really bring the sport back to the limelight and tennis and, you know, we you know we had some of the personalities, we had the Andy Roddick or the John MacFarlos, but now I think we really have to show that you know everybody in the world has a story, and you can you can really follow anybody, and there's a billion people, and there's always a story you can relate to, and there's going to be more than one, and there's so much going on, you just have to you know fans haven't really had the outlet or the platform to listen to them, and and players haven't had the the outlet to share with them, so I think I'm giving. Both, um, you know, a happy medium where they can kind of see each other and and see each other in a different light, not just forehands and backends. And I think it's really exciting. It's been extremely receptive.
0: How come Instagram and not a blog or a podcast or some other form of media to get these stories out? What drew you to Instagram as your platform?
1: I think... You know, I've gotten very comfortable with Instagram as a whole. Um, I think I know how it works. I think I know what works with it, within it. And, you know, with my my sister um, being a part of the social media world as well, I think she's another great outlet to use. And and she's one that knows the Twitter, Instagram world very well. And, you know, just bouncing ideas, I think, for um, our generation, we have this, I would say Instagram is probably at the forefront of popularity right now um with how things can grow and how easily they can spread and go viral i think instagram is the platform for it and i think you know where this idea all stems from was humans of new york and i mean i could be wrong he could have started somewhere else but where he got a lot of his publicity was from instagram Mm -hmm. and i just knew how to use it so well and i felt so comfortable with it and it felt like a, a place where You know, I could post a picture on Instagram and go directly to Facebook and it could really spread out from there. And, um, you know, and I knew how to use the Instagram stories and it just felt very natural and organic the way it was growing through Instagram. And, um, you know, podcasts are not easy. And, you know, I wanted something where they didn't have to feel a camera in front of their face or yes, I am recording them, but they are, it's not the final thing you're hearing. And I think it's a, it's, a, it's a very difficult thing to not have your guard up when let's say a camera gets in front of your face or even a recorder. And I think it's very tough for somebody who's not maybe open about certain very troubled past or family experiences to have then a camera in front of your face. and you go straight guarded and you start answering questions very PC and not really opening up. And I think that's where I found a lot of the issues and that's where I got to, you know, the way I'm I'm doing it today and, and the way, you know, it seems to be successful. And, and it's been it's been exciting so far.
0: Yeah. I mean, one of the things that to me is so unique about Behind the Racket is how raw these stories are. And I I mean, for those of you listening to this who haven't read any of Noah's Behind the Rackets you'll know what I mean when you read one um, I mean these players are talking about money issues in their families they're talking about divorce in their you know with their parents they're talking about terminal illnesses in their families they're talking about their own learning disabilities uh, their own uh, mental issues that they're you know issues with depression or or other things that have, you know, been sort of barriers that they've had to overcome. I mean, these are truly raw stories. And I'm just curious, how did you get people to open up like this?
1: Yeah. I mean, so obviously in the beginning, you know, you have this idea and it comes to mind and then you say, well, one, <laughs> are people going to like it? And two, the, the biggest concern of mine was, was it going was I going to offend people? I mean, I was asking truly straight up questions to their face. And for some reason they saw in my eyes that I'm not trying to offend them, that I just wanted to get to the bottom line. I just want to know more about them. And, and I guess there's something that you can't really replicate. And I think this is the reason why I'm not worried about people doing what I'm doing is because I'm a tennis player first, I'm a part of their world. And I think they saw that I had no ulterior motive. I was just giving them the platform they needed to share the story i'm not saying anything else i'm not doing anything else i'm not asking for anything besides a picture of them and for them to maybe repost it on their page or instagram story so i am literally just giving i am just a name that gives them the platform and i'm one of them and i think with that has a sense of trust from the other players and they see that this isn't for me this is you know, once they get through it and some players aren't as receptive and some players don't want to do it at first, but you know, for the most part they see that this is a place where they can share their own story and, you know, and reach a lot of people, reach some fans and get some new fans. I mean, people are getting hundreds of messages, you know, when they, when they post a story and I post a story and they're getting so much support and they'll get 40 comments on my picture and then they'll get their own DMS. And if they post it, I mean, Tasha Victory got over a hundred comments, or about a hundred comments, on her own picture when she posted it, and it's just there's an overwhelmingness um, of support for all these players, and it's and it's really exciting, and and it really stems from I'm just one of them. I mean, yes, of course, I have wild and crazy dreams for this project, just like I have for my life. I mean, that's just how I live. Um, but in in you know in reality, it's, it's just a platform for there to share for them to share a story. So. I think that's why it's grown so organically so far.
0: And one unique feature, another unique feature, is there's no judgment, right? I mean, this is somebody's story. And unlike some of the stuff that we read about players getting blasted on Twitter, you know, after a, a loss or whatever, I mean, so far, as far as I have seen, there's been nothing negative that's come out of this. And maybe I'm missing something, but I hope not.
1: No, I mean, mean, for the most part, they have been very tough stories that these players have been through. So it's very tough to come up with something negative. But at the same time, it is just their story. You know, there's not much you can say to them unless you're just going to be that one person that comments something, you know, anti-Semitic or racist or blah, blah, blah besides Mm -hmm. that it is just their story they are just opening up and sharing a really tough moment and i think no matter how awful a person you are you have your own story and i think that's almost playing a role in this that you know god here are some athletes that you know i look up to or they work really hard or i or i thought maybe maybe i thought negatively about them in the beginning or i thought they were really entitled but here's the story that's telling me differently and I'm not hearing it from anybody else, but the person, it's just their own story. And it's really tough to argue that. So you can hate them all you want, but here's something that they've pushed through and managed to push through and have become a better person for it. And I think that really resonates with, you know, with everybody just a little bit. So I think that's why it's been um, so incredible and, and only positive feedback.
0: So what, you said you you're not asking anything of these athletes, it's, you know, you except to maybe repost it on their own accounts. What mm-hmm. are you hoping to accomplish with behind the racket?
1: I think the main—I'm really trying to normalize the stigma around mental health and, and get people to open up because, and especially, I mean. You know, you could say the world, but then I'm going to narrow it down to sport, and then I'm going to narrow it down even, you know, a little bit more to tennis. Uh, such a unique sport, and how individual it is, and everybody has this concern that they have to put on this, you know, this tough mental face, and because we're all competing against each other. But at the same time, we're all in it together, and I know that sounds weird because we're all fighting and we all have a ranking. But at the same time, it is just such a tricky sport and there's so many mental boundaries barriers i'm sorry that you have to break down each and every day (laughs) and people have no idea so i think just normalizing that idea a little bit that here we're all tennis players open up a little bit or at least find somewhere in your own life and maybe it motivates them to open up to those people and just getting the talk going and saying you know what it's okay to talk about this stuff you know you're not a weaker person for it and and I think, you know, this, this is a problem, both men and women. And and I think people have this, you know, they have to put on this tough face and um, this will be highlighted. I'll give you a little sneak peek. It will be highlighted in the uh, next post, which will be tomorrow about Bradley Klon. And, you know, you just have to kind of put on this tough face. And I think I'm trying to normalize that idea and say, you know what? Yeah. You know, we're men, women, we're friends, we're, we're competitors, but, you know what, we have tough days and we can open up and talk about it and we can get through it together. Because in the end, even if our career is magnificent, we're playing until we're 35. God willing, we have many, many more years after that to be a person and a human being. And this sport can really, really hinder that, really hinder your mental state of mind. And, you know, if you have some people that are just there for you, which hopefully that's what I'm trying to help out, then I think it really help can aid that process.
0: Have you had any of the players say they don't want to do it because they don't want to jeopardize their reputation in the locker room? Meaning, you know, they don't wanna appear weak when and have somebody that they may play next week read about some weakness and and then capitalize on that on the court.
1: You know, I've gotten more people just afraid to truly just open up in general. You know, people that haven't really shared the story before, that didn't know how other people react, or didn't really know what it is all about. So, you know, the more players that get to do it, that open up about, you know, really tough moments, I think players will see that it's just a safe place. You know, it's just a platform for you to share your own story. And nobody's judging. You know, nobody cares um, that you know you, you had these these troubles. You know, we we appreciate you for it. And, and I think it's shown and, um, you know, people are are definitely more open into it, you know, now that I'm up to about 20 posts, let's say, or whatever it is. And, and it's, it's really exciting to see people open up about things they haven't. I've I've had many people hug me and, and come up to me and say, thank you. And they've cried during the conversation, say, saying they've never shared these stories before. And it's really tough. And it's, it's almost a, it's a, Responsibility and obligation for me at this point to share these stories because because now that I know that everybody has one and I and I've listened and I I feel like it's a necessity and I have almost a, a role in it to be the first person to really take those stories out and put them you know a little bit in the spotlight so people can see you know what how amazing these athletes are and how much they push through and and to cut us some slack every once in a while and I think you know it's a win win for everybody and. It's, it's therapy. It's a way to grow your fan base. It's There's a million things you can take away from it. And it's, it's been a great a great month for me so far.
0: So you said you, you're not putting a camera in their face. How do you record these stories? Or are the athletes writing them and submitting them? How does that work?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I did a few through writing. And it's, it's not ideal that way. But I have done well through writing. And I'll, and I'll send them questions. And we'll go back and forth. It just takes a little longer um mm-hmm. i'll either record them most of them are recorded um on my phone in person some on my phone not in person um because you know especially with uh trying to get women highlighted it, it's tough with the with a lack of men's and women's tournaments combined so that right. i have to really take advantage of over the phone but yeah for the most part i'm doing this in person those are obviously the most powerful because i'm making eye contact with them where while they share these heart wrenching stories. Um, and then after I, I do it, I you know I sit down either later that day or another day and transcribe them to my computer. I then edit them and, you know, I'm not adding any words, you know, just fixing a little grammar and making it, you know, cutting and pasting certain paragraphs to, to fit into Instagram and then sending it to my editing team, which consists of my best friend and my girlfriend. I'll send it to the player who gives a final okay and then I post
0: Awesome. So, I mean, do you find yourself in the role of therapist now too?
1: Um, no. Okay.
0: No, I do not. I find
1: myself in the role of, I know how do I describe it? I find myself, like I said, kind of just this responsibility, mm-hmm. this almost Almost a friend, but more. <laughs> like it's a it's a strange way. I ah I, oh god, the words aren't coming out. But I, I, it's almost this fact that I know they have a story, and I know how tough it is to share. And but I know there's an obligation for them and myself. You know, if there's even a hint of them that wants to share it, I know there's an obligation for myself and them to share it to make other people to, to shine a light on their path and and motivate other other players and other people to get through it because they have and and there's so much that goes into it and and, and it might sound cheesy and, and I'm sure I do at certain points but I think there's um there's definitely a power within it and and I've gotten messages that says thank you so much for this um you know yeah like I said my son had a stutter and now you know here's an athlete he can look up to and he doesn't right. feel as alone like I mean, those things. God, I mean, like you know, here's something that I just thought about, you know, a month ago in bed, and now even if I affect just that one kid's life, but I've gotten hundreds of messages. But even if I just affect that one kid's life, that that means the world. That's it. <laughs> That's it, right there.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's awesome, and and obviously there is a sense of trust between you and the player that you're. Profiling because, as I said before, these stories are incredibly raw and incredibly personal. And I suspect for a lot of these players, maybe they've never shared these things before with anybody else.
1: Well, not to give a little too much insight, and I'm sure he would be okay, but Sangren came up to me, you know, basically in tears saying, Thank you so much for. Allowing me to share my story, I never actually shared my story with anyone before, and I needed that. And here's somebody who shared their story um, about their father dying, and and he's looking me in his eyes, sharing that story, and it's just, it's heart wrenching. It, it hurts. It's and you can see how sad he was just sharing it. And for him to come up after, even after sharing something like that, said, and thanking me, I mean, he's 50 in the world, and he's thanking me for this opportunity. I mean. The fact that this hasn't been done before is almost bad. Like that's what I feel bad about. That's why I'm working so hard to try to get these stories out because it should be done. Right. That's why. So when he when he hugs me and says that, then I'm like, oh, there's so much more to this. Right.
0: And I mean, it's interesting because I've had this conversation with powers that be in the tennis world. You know that we have these incredible athletes out there that nobody hears about that. You know, not only are physically attractive to look at, which, Mm -hmm. you know, should boost the sport because we're a visual society. That's just how we are. And we're superficial that way. But also that have, like you have exposed, these unbelievable stories to tell. And how do we expect to grow the game of tennis if we don't give people players to root for? and to cheer for, and to get behind. And that's well, like exactly you,
1: what... It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't grow. right? It doesn't grow. And because, and you can say, and I, I am a tremendous fan of Francis Tiafoe. I've known him forever. We're good friends. And it was unbelievably quartered Australian Open. Great. That only goes so far. Right. We already forget about it. Obviously, he's going to remember that for the rest of his life. But as a tennis fan, let's say, it's gone. You don't use that platform for something bigger, it's gone. Nobody right. remembers it. That does nothing. Unless you're really truly winning slams, then you can make an impact. But if you're not using your platform, which a lot of these guys have, then it's it's a waste. Nothing's going anywhere.
0: I mean mm-hmm. I mean I'm looking Sorry to interrupt you, Noah. We had a little dog barking incident there. But, um, (laughs) yeah, we were talking about the fact that if players don't use the platform to build the fan base and –
1: Right. No, it just – it doesn't grow. And not to call anybody out um, because they're all – they are really great guys. I could could tell you that. But the top Americans, you know, they're just quiet guys. You know, they're they're not really – out in the open making, you know, that many moves and trying to get the word out. And that's their personal preference not to do that. And I I get it. That's fine. But then you're almost hindering the sport in a way because Mm -hmm. you're nine in the world, you're 20 in the world, you're whatever you are, and you have the platform to reach millions of people. And your interviews are like, yeah, okay, that's fine. That doesn't do anything for me. And that's when it's an issue. And yeah, you can have a Francis who's definitely more outspoken. He takes his shirt off. He does the whole thing. And that's cool. And that would definitely bring more awareness to the sport. But right. I'm talking about on a larger scale. I'm talking about truly affecting people and making them want to watch the sport and making them want to be a part of it and giving them a billion people to look at and say, oh, my God, here's three people that I literally went through the same exact experiences during my own life. And the professional athletes and they' 70 in the world. I'm, oh, wait, I'm from New York. I can go watch the US Open. Boom. I'm taking my family. Like, that's how these things work and that's something that has never been done before and you know not to make fun of more people but you, you can go on the tennis channel and watch what's in my bag and okay somebody brings out a teddy bear and you're like oh that's so cute i have it like it doesn't do anything it's so superficial artificial. you can use all these work it just doesn't do it mm-hmm. and i've always i mean if you've, heard me speak before You hear from my friends I've always had this idea of changing the sport and of course the world that's just cheesy but I've always had this <laughs> idea of bringing more to the sport and and really and obviously that stems from you know my tennis improving and hopefully building my own platform to go off of but um there's a lot more to it and I'm, I'm doing my best at the moment so
0: No, I think it's great. And I think, you know, one of the things that as a fan that I love so much about the Olympics, for example, is when they dive deep into the athletes and, you know, take you into their homes and take you into their daily training routine and, you know, show you what they look like when they wake up in the morning and come to the breakfast table. I mean, that's how you build fans for any sport. And, and I think the fact that tennis has been remiss in really telling good stories about all the athletes. And now, I, you know, Tennis Channel does the, the – where they follow the one male and one female – through the year. Yeah. And, and, yeah. you know, they're doing that now with Coco Vandaway and with Mackie McDonald and, 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 yep. and it's great. I mean, you know, it's fun, but the segments are short and um, you're it's not fun, you're, you know, yeah. and you use the right
1: word and not to put you on blast, but you use the right word. It's fun. It's
0: good. And
1: you're, you're going to see some tough moments of course, and could be after a loss and, but it's, Guard, it's PC. Yes, (laughs) exactly. And and that's what it gets down to. So you watch these, and you take it away, and you take it with a grain of salt. You're like, oh, that was that was fun. You know, I saw a little glimpse into mackie's life, and that's cool. Like, I you know, I definitely didn't know that about him, or blah blah blah. But in the end, you're not thinking about that. I mean, I have people texting me saying, I I couldn't stop thinking about that. You know, and that's a paragraph. I literally it's just a paragraph that's written. Exactly. And they're saying, like, I am thinking about this for a week after. I can't. It is such a heartbreaking thing that this guy had to go through it. I had to send him a message. And, like, you know, you're watching these tennis channel things. You're like, okay, like, it's fun. And now, you you know, you have some good stuff so you don't have to rewind and watch an ATP 500 from six years ago. That's great. I mean, I'm happy.
0: <laughs> and, that, and
1: that's really exciting.
0: Yeah, you and I need to talk a little more off, uh, off mic. <laughs>
1: no believe me i'm willing to speak about that on camera i i'm I'm definitely open with that stuff because you know i have said it to the people to their face there's a lot of changes that need to be made so yes obviously these things are going in the right direction and they're working hard they have a lot of people right you're in tennis channel. you have to be pc i mean i mean i i guess to a certain point i guess maybe you can't talk about these things on a daily basis because you know even my mom came up to me and was like oh I know they're really, you know, they're great that people are, you know, reading these, but they're, maybe you put a happy one in. I'm like, mom, that's not the point. You
0: know, I'm not, I'm not. You know, I Shocking that to... Melanie would come up with that.
1: <laughs> and she's been great. And she's been so supportive. She loves them. It's just, and I get it. They're, like, they're really, they're tough. they're depressing. They're
0: heavy. And,
1: yeah. But these are their stories. And, I, and I'm quoting law and order for God's sake. But it's, <laughs> it's just, this is them. Right. It's is this is not, you know, putting three walls up between them and a camera. This is who they are. And, you know, Mackie's, you know, in front of a camera doing this thing and I love Mackie and he's smiling and he's thinking about a billion things that he's gonna say and how he's gonna make it sound good for camera. That's that's just not my project and, and that's just not how I want it to go. So uh, you know, it, it it does get a few more people to watch the tennis channel, but you're not watch you're not getting new lovers of the sport. So
0: Well, and that's the thing. I think, you know, one of the things with Tennis Channel is it is geared toward people who are already fans of tennis. Um, I would venture that, you know, they're not creating new fans for the sport, but rather catering to the existing fan base. And what it seems to me that Behind the Racket is able to achieve and, you know, like you said, you've, you've done, what, 20 posts. I mean, mm-hmm. you are attracting new fans to the sport because people can relate to these stories that maybe had no interest in tennis before. Maybe, you know, maybe they've played once or twice, but they're not really into watching the game. But now all of a sudden they've connected with one or more of these players and and are going to seek out their schedule and... You know where can I go see this person play in person? How can I watch them on TV? How can I follow their career? And all of a sudden, you've created new fans, and that's that's what it's all about. That's what our federations are supposed to be doing, and and really have had trouble doing uh, in recent years. And I just love that a player has kind of grabbed the bull by the proverbial horns and taken matters into his own hands and said, Hey, you know, I'm sick of us not getting the visibility that we deserve. We work hard out here and we deserve to be seen and heard and known and followed. And we deserve for there to be butts in seats when we're playing our matches. And, you know, I, I think it's fantastic.
1: Yeah, no, it's been, it's been really great. And uh, I'm excited to see where it goes.
0: For sure. Let's, um, since I'm, you know, since you said you're okay talking about this stuff, I'm gonna put you on the hook a little bit. Uh, the ITF's World Tennis Tour has gotten a lot of press lately, a lot of visibility in social media. There've been tweets and blog posts and Facebook groups formed and petitions being created as we speak. Um, what are you hearing out there, and what are you experiencing as a player?
1: A lot of upset people. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, this is in no way to come off arrogant. I just thankfully don't have to deal with it as right. much, you know, with where my ranking is at. Right. Um, getting to mm-hmm. the nuts and bolts of it a little bit, I've gotten to know a little bit about the process. And there are de- there's definitely some room for improvement. Um, you know, he'll take to, to social media today. And I agree. Um, there's, there's a point where you are not getting into ATPs or transition tour because, or I mean, I'm sorry, you're not getting into challengers off of ATP or ITF ranking. And that's where it falls. Anywhere from, uh, let's say a 280 to 380 range is where it's a really tough point where you have enough ATPs to kind of sneak into a couple of challengers, but not many. And then you're off, you know, you're on the alternate list and there's no qualifying, so you won't get in. And then, you know, you don't really have an ITF ranking because you've grinded so many weeks trying to get these ATP points. And that's where the problem lies. And, you know, there's more than a few problems with tennis now. And and I see where they're kind of trying to go with the system. It's definitely a rough, rough draft that I kind of threw in there, though.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I feel like, too, you know, what's happened is that there's like what happened when our governing body instituted some new junior comp rules back in 2014. These things get thrown out there and yes, you know, hopefully some changes will be made, but in the meantime, you've got a whole group of people who are unable to make a living right now. And that's not okay.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah. You know how I see it from my point of view and I get it. You know, there's always, So they, you know, everybody starts figuring out that there's talks about changing tennis. And and once that happens, the people in charge have this pressure to come out with changes. Because obviously there's so many ways to fix tennis. There's so many problems with tennis that there needs changes. So, you know, you know, towards the end when they were trying to, you know, put these changes into effect, you know, they were trying to figure out that maybe it wasn't the right play. And they were, you know, changing minor, minor things right before the deadline kind of thing. And mm-hmm. then they kind of threw it out there. And that's where it gets tricky. And And there's a lot of brains and a lot of smart people that are working their butts off trying to get these changes. And yes, it's going to affect people no matter what. I just don't think they saw this coming or maybe they didn't see it as big as a problem, but it's a rough trap and hopefully they correct it soon.
0: Right. And I think, you know, thank goodness for social media because it does give players that are kind of stuck at the challenger level, a voice to make themselves heard and, you know, hopefully to drive some change sooner rather than later so that the whole year isn't wasted. And, you know, they find themselves starting from ground zero next year when their points completely disappear off of their ranking. Um, I I just think it's, it's a big fat mess right now. And You know, hopefully the ITF will do the right thing and, and continue to, to make the changes necessary to keep the opportunities alive. (laughs) Well, how could they not be right? (laughs) How could they not be? My goodness. I mean, you know, you've got everybody from Sports Illustrated to the New York Times, to players all around the world coaches all around the world tweeting about this and writing articles and yeah um, so it, it's I hopefully it's something that will get fixed quickly and and I'm I'm happy it's not impacting you in a negative way but I you know one of the things about tennis that I always think about is, you know every player is one injury away from from having a right. a big change in their life right and and you have gone through periods where you've been out due to injury and you know luckily you were able to get yourself back into the rankings and and get yourself at the level that you should be playing um the level tournament you should be playing but not everybody has been that lucky it's tough no,
1: out there very very tough and it sometimes takes years and years and you know that's that's <laughs> I can speak for hours and <laughs> rather not about this. Yeah, I do it all the time, but there are many changes that need to be in place for tennis. You know, shorter yeah. seasons, salaries, um, more club-ish matches, kind of like world the European system. Steroids. Yeah, the European system, of course, and and those things. there have to be short schedules and and shorter sets, and and there's a lot of things that has to be changed. And I think we're gonna have to find ourselves. We're gonna find ourselves that we just have to dive in one day and, 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 and throw it all at the wall and see if it works and just see mm-hmm. if it works out and just take the chance because right now what we're doing is not okay it's not making us money it's, uh, it's not conducive for TV you know you can't tell TV oh yeah close off 3 hours or 15 hours we have no idea how long this match is going to go so and right. they're like oh, okay no we're not going to do that we'll put something else on and like, I, I literally see a uh, cornhole being played more on ESPN than oh, yeah. tennis. Uh, yeah. So it's like there's a, there's a lot of things that need to be changed and the way we just rip our bodies apart. I mean, that's a season. We have an 11, 11-month 11 schedule and we're playing two out of three sets and we're just dying every day. I mean, play to four games, have the Grand Slams the same, but you know, play to four games, have you know ATP, some of the high-level ATP tournaments, and then have club matches and allow people to really make money. And, you know, the tennis is still going to be there. Like, if you're a good tennis player, you're going to win. And if you're not, you're not. Like, if nothing really changes and you don't have ads and if you have shorter sets, it just means that people get to play harder for every point. That's all that means. You know, you don't have grand slams where they're throwing away sets. You don't have sometimes a long two out of three match and they throw away a couple games. And that's just, you know, you won't have it anymore. So I think there's a lot of changes that can be made. And, and I think we'll see that in the next five to ten years.
0: Interesting. As someone who prides himself on foot speed and fitness, you really want to see matches shortened?
1: Um, it doesn't matter for me. Every, um, yes, yeah, of course, if I find myself six all in a third set, I am banking on myself to win that because I'm just another she. But so right. with that being said, each individual point, I feel that. So yes, the sets are shorter. Yes, people can last longer because now the sets are shorter. But you know, with that being said, in that rally, I can go an extra five balls longer. So let's say that guy can go 10 balls. I can usually go 15, but now I can go 20 balls because I know I'm only playing two out of three sets, no add, up to four. So I'm even going a little bit longer. The points are going to look better. I'm still at an advantage. Whatever advantage you have is still going to be an advantage that's all it is okay. i really true i I've thought this over <laughs> um i really truly believe that yes your advantages are your advantages and so are disadvantages and in the end the best player is going to win and then, yes maybe the shorter sets you're going to have your weird you know upset every once in a while but in the end it's going to be normal and it's going to be better for tv it's going to be better for fans and you know how many times are you gonna get a seven-year-old or eight-year-old who hasn't picked their favorite sport yet to watch a two out of three set match. that goes five in the third, you know, he's, he's middle of the second set. He's like, Oh, dad, can we go home now? <laughs> yeah. He's, so there's changes that need to be made and hopefully we'll try
0: You know what I find interesting? I, I play a lot of league tennis and, you know, we play two out of three full sets, um, you know, regular scoring. We do play a tiebreaker at six all, but we do play out the third set. And I always laugh that, you know, you've got all these 50 somethings out there, you know, in the hot, humid weather down in Georgia. Um, but you know, then you look at some of the new shorter formats and and think, gosh, these are professional athletes and they can't play as long as I'm playing. But the difference right. is, we're playing one match and then we're playing again in a week. <laughs> we're, right, I and mean,
1: then you're looking at the new the new system, and you know I'm having one day off and five matches in a row, and then God willing, yeah, I'm hoping I do well, and I hope, you know, it's always a saying, I'm, I hope I'm tired for next week. I mean, right. what? how is that possible in a professional athlete is saying i hope i'm tired for my next tournament that just means i did well enough that i don't have that much rest for the next tournament I mean, that is something i should never have to deal with again right yeah you could be tired and you can have two days off blah, 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 but like for the most part i mean you're finding a tournament it is a good effort to go back to back having good tournaments it is a really good effort you're that means you're putting in some long hours in the gym in recovery making sure your body is sustainable for another week of grinding and it's not easy to do so. Right,
0: right now it's crazy it's crazy well noah what else do you want us to know about behind the racket and what's coming do you have another project in the works or um i have more things with behind the racket yeah i mean uh
1: there's There's going to be besides the uh, stupid love of just like making hats and sweatshirts with the new logo, which I, which I just put up yesterday. Yeah. I love Um, the
0: logo, by the way. I forgot to mention that, but yeah, well done. Thank you
1: so much. Thank you so much. So yeah, you know, make, make some articles of clothing that I'll be repping around a little bit, but yeah, I have some true visions of um, galleries and stuff like that to take my love of photography, take some, because the pictures I have on right now are kind of just placeholders but I would take some real pictures with a camera of mine, post in the gallery, and have some players actually go to the gallery and walk around and talk about their experiences on tour. And, you know, I'll sell these works. I'll sell these works and we'll go to charity. And, and that's kind of where my dreams lie. And I think this is a near, nearer future than I believe. And I think everything's going very fast. And I'm one to work at a high-speed pace. Um, I can really use my connections in the art world, which is in my life. And I'm really excited to see where this all goes.
0: I mean, I'm envisioning something at the U.S. Open this year.
1: Hey, who knows? Who knows? We'll see. We'll see if they can get a, if they allow a New Yorker to step in there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a fantastic idea. I, I just, again, I mean, this whole idea of bringing the players to the people, is something that's been missing for a long time, especially in U.S. tennis. I don't know how it's done in other countries, but I feel like here we have done a really poor job of bringing the players to the people. And if behind the racket starts a new trend uh, in that direction, I i mean, amen to you and and keep going and, and keep telling these stories. And you know, I, I would hope that the players that have done your feature so far are feeling like it was a good move for them career-wise, personal-wise. But for the players that haven't yet had the opportunity to share their story on Behind the Racket, if you hear this, please do. We want to get to know you. We want to be able to cheer for you. And we want to understand the obstacles that you've overcome to get where you are. And Noah, I just, I think this is brilliant. I really am a huge fan.
1: Well, thank you so much. And thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. Thanks for coming on. And I'll let you get back to your training. Good luck. What's your next event? Uh, Indian Wells qualifying in about five days from now. Awesome. Well, I love that tournament. So good luck. Enjoy the desert. There's lots of good eats out there and um, lots of fun hikes and things to go do on your quote off time, which I know is kind of a joke, but um, (laughs) I hope you'll get to enjoy the desert a little bit.
1: Yes, I will. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. To my listeners, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast for tennis parents by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, I hope you'll share the podcast with your tennis community. For all the information you need to navigate the junior and college tennis journey, be sure to check out ParentingAces.com.